Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. This month on our Inspiring Women series, we have the honor of interviewing a very special guest, freelance writer, book editor, founder, and host of the incredible Women's History podcast, The Exploress. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ann. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you were having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Kate, would you like to start? Yes, well, I I would love to say that I'm drinking a cocktail, preferably a Manhattan, but it is yeah. 7.30 a.m. for me in Australia, so I'm drinking I'm sorry. my first coffee. <laughs> nice. Sorry. Sorry. Is, it, is it instant or do you get super snob about coffee? Uh, well, I live in, in Melbourne, which is like the coffee capital of the world, or so they, they like to oh, say. And, uh, mm, so I should be drinking okay. espresso. Yeah. I know. I know. Look, I don't say it. It's just Melbourne. You just did. But, uh, you there just is, said it. <laughs> there, is, there is good coffee here. So I should be drinking espresso, but I'm not. I went out of my way to get a classic American drip percolator. So Whoa. Oh, man. And I had to ask. I had to ask for it a couple times because the man looked at me like, what? He said, you mean the American coffee machine? And I said, yes. Stop talking. Start pouring. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little little less this, a little more pouring in that cup there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to my mornings. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a morning person, but I don't even know if I'm an evening person. I think I'm just a person. So um, (laughs) you have my, I thought about, I actually thought about having mulled wine and then I had a little bit before the recording and then I promptly fell asleep on the couch. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I talk a great show. I say coffee and cocktails and then I drink water the whole time or coffee. That's, that's literally the extent of it. Just oh, call it the water podcast. Hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, well. Um, so, yeah, Kate is from uh, Northern Virginia. Before the recording, we were... We were reflecting, shall we say, about our upbringing and uh, our experiences, and we'll we'll put that in a little corner and lock it with a key. Um, but I got to say, Kate, uh, for those listeners who don't know about your show yet, they should definitely know about your show. Um, I just want so you run this show called The Exploress, which I came across. I don't know. I was on Castbox and I was desperately trying to find something new to listen to while I did the mountain of dishes. And I thought, I'll give it 30 seconds. And by like 10 seconds, I was, I was like hooked. And I was like, okay, well, well, this looks interesting. Let's just, let's just try this. And I think I listened to, I want to say that one of the first ones I listened to was on ancient Egypt. And I have loved ancient Egypt. Like I've been fascinated by it since I was 10. And you do something with history that most people I find don't do. I, I know definitely Mr. Plunkett from my history class when I was 14 definitely didn't do this. But you take <laughs> history and you, it's like you're transported. Like the best way I can describe it where I feel like I am in the place wherever on earth we are in whatever period of time and you... Talk about how you've like woken up out of bed and you talk about, I'm just making this up. I'm sure it's more, it's way more exciting the way I'm describing it, but like the, the sort of shoes you put on when you get out of bed, the sort of clothes you might wear, what kind of perfume you might put on, how you wash your face, how you brush your teeth. And it's like the sort of mundane things that we would take for granted now. And then you put it in a context in like, I don't know, the second dynasty of name your place. And you're like, oh my gosh, they brush their teeth like that? Ugh really? Does it work? And then you talk about, yeah, like ancient Rome or wherever women would put 
alligator feces on their face and it's apparently smelled really nice and it was really good for their skin. And I'm like, that is phenomenal because you have people today who put like lamb placenta on their face, which is disgusting, but people pay good money for it. Or they have snails like crawling across their face. And these beauty regimes you think are new and weird, but actually they go could easily go back thousands of years to even uh, to other weird things. And I, I just, I guess what I'd be interested in knowing is like, what inspired you to dive into these aspects of history, especially looking at women's history, which up until recently hasn't really, it still isn't really, let's be honest, explored to the depth that it should be. What inspired you to just kind of create something like this, like a story narrative that takes you to a place that you we, we will never visit? Well, it's it's always a hard one for me to answer because it just feels like there were so many different pieces that came together that inspired me to make the show. One of them was that I missed teaching. I was working at home as a full-time book editor, freelancer, and kind of just alone at my desk all day. And I found myself missing, I was a high school teacher in Maryland for about three years, uh, which was the hardest job I've ever had, but it was Mm. the most rewarding. And I found myself missing that, the performative aspect of storytelling. There are two things I've always loved since I was very small, storytelling and history, which is really storytelling with Mm -hmm. facts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mostly facts. Um, And I just felt like that part of me, that deep part, like I feel like part of my work in the world is to teach and is to to use my passion and my storytelling to get other people engaged in whatever it is. And I was missing I was missing that. I was missing finding ways to get up in front of my ninth grade students and you know get them excited in Shakespeare, get them excited about reading Macbeth. It was it was something that I found that I loved doing is breaking those stories open and finding a way to make them accessible and to to get the kids to see this is from a very long time ago. This is very separate from you, but it's not really. You could take this story, strip back the fancy language, and this still applies. It applies to you. It applies to the world. So let's get into it. And so it was partially that. It was partially that I had started getting into the podcasts. And one of the first things I did when I got into podcasts was I started looking for ones on specifically women's history. Because I was like, you know what? All these history podcasts run by run by dudes, mostly about dudes, are very interesting. Mm, absolutely. I've always loved. Yeah, I'm, they're, they're great and they have their place. But I thought, where are the ladies? I want to hear about women in history because that's always been a passion of mine is exploring women's stories through history. So there was really only one that I could find at the time, and that was the History Chicks, which is a wonderful mm-hmm. podcast. Um, they're really one of the kind of pioneers in, in the women's history podcasting space. And they do biography episodes. And so I was binge listening to all these episodes, enjoying it. But I often found myself listening to these biographies and thinking, yeah, but I feel like I'm learning about this woman in a vacuum. What mm. was her life actually like? What did her world look like? What, what kinds of clothes was she wearing? You know, what, what were kind of the social expectations beyond the surface level? What did her world smell like? What kinds of things was she eating? You know, how was she going to the bathroom? The yeah. thing that always oh, fascinated yeah. me. <laughs> what kind of underwear was she wearing? Because we think these things are trivial, but of course they're not. They would impact how that woman would have navigated her world, how she would have seen her world. So how can you really appreciate, you know, the cool things a woman did if you don't really understand her world? 
And the other thing I would say that was pretty formative for me was the year before I started the podcast, I was visiting New York, seeing one of my best friends. And we went to see a show called Sleep No More, which was one of the best nights of my life. It's this really, if you haven't heard of it, it's essentially just really immersive theater. It's like you're wandering through a, a gothic 1920s maze and the actors are all dancing around you and everyone's wearing masks. And it's like you totally break down the fourth wall and you immerse yourself in this in this show, in this world and in this mood they've created. And at the end, you walk through what looks like an authentic 1920s smoke-filled cocktail, like prohibition bar. And there was this woman, you know, dressed to the nines, singing up on stage, everything, every piece of clothing, every, just everything in the room felt so authentic. And I felt like I'd traveled through time and it made me euphorically, intensely happy <laughs> because one of the reasons I love storytelling is because it is, it transports you. It makes you feel like you are somewhere else and you're getting to see it and feel it in a way that you don't when someone's lecturing to you about the days of yore or you're reading, you know, a dry academic tome about the past. Mm. And so I feel like all those things came together for me. And the the other piece for me was I'm also, I write fiction. I write young adult fiction mostly. And I also write nonfiction. And I spend a lot of time editing other people's stories, which I really enjoy doing. But I was feeling like I needed something where there was no gatekeeper. There was no one to tell me this is good enough or not good enough. So I wanted to create something where there was no gatekeeper to tell me whether something was good enough or not good enough to be out in the world, whether the market wanted it or didn't want it. Um, I was frustrated with the constraints of that and the constraints of... Um, trying to help other people realize their vision and their stories. But really, I just wanted to tell my own and I wanted to do it in a way where I didn't have to wait for anyone's permission. And that's the great thing about podcasting is that you can make a show about absolutely anything you want. All you need is a microphone and enthusiasm and mm. publish it and put it out in the world and let it find its people. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty easy process when you boil it down. So I thought, well, you know, I don't want to do something that other people are already doing. And I felt like the History Chicks, you know, for example, were already doing a great show in which they talked about biographies of women. And I thought what I'm really interested in doing is talking about what was life like for women of the past in different periods. And I knew that I wanted to create something that made people feel like they were traveling back through time. I wanted to give people the same experience I had going to sleep no more if I could, you know, if I could do that with just audio. I wanted to at least experiment and see if I could. And to not just talk about famous women, but to talk about everyday women, um, you know, nameless women, faceless women that we might not ever know, but to think about what would it be like to live in this time period as a woman and it was an incredible exercise in realizing that, of course, people of the past are the same as us. <laughs> you know, we look at the past and we often think, you know, women in ancient Egypt were almost like a different species to us. You know, they were living such different lives and such different times with um, different technologies. But of course, they're in many ways more similar to us than different. They faced a lot of the same challenges, large and small they were living in the same world as us. It might've looked very different and felt very different and their cultural frame of reference was very different, but it's incredible once you start looking at the past, 
how many parallels you see between us and them. So yeah. I do love that aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think one of the things that I kept that kept coming to me when I was thinking, it was that um, a lot of the big issues that are prevalent in our society today are, you know, things like abortion or, you know, some of the really big, heavy stuff or even just, I'm just going to say it, periods. Like just the things that we don't really share. Say it loud, periods. Not with my dad. I like, talking about periods. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but I will say that those things happen. It is the way it is. And you got to do what you got to do in terms of your monthly stuff. So, you know, there's the, ta there's the, oh, it's taboo, but there's the, the heavy stuff. And then there's also the day-to-day -day stuff. And either way, people are trying to navigate in their own way how to respond to certain issues. Okay? I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the point is, as you said, it doesn't change. It doesn't matter if it's today. It doesn't matter if it's tomorrow. It doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago. Women were still having to deal with this. And they had to make most of the resources they had around them in order to decide how to proceed going forward. And I think that is fascinating because it just goes to show that history repeats itself. And that leads to that whole thing is that we are we are people. We're still very much people. Um, and I think that that is one of the things that just makes your show so exceptional, in my opinion. Um, but I was going to say, in terms of your podcast production, I mean, you, you research so much. And you, I know we talked in the past about how Sometimes you'll say, well, I'll just write 15 pages and that turns into 25 or 35. So how do you go about doing your research for the show? Well, the, the hardest thing about it is that I'm obviously, I'm a history enthusiast. I'm not, and I'm a researcher, but I'm not an original researcher. I'm not an academic and I'm not really an, what you would call an expert on any of these topics. I'm really a teacher and a storyteller. Um, so for me, the thing that is difficult, I'm also a perfectionist, so, but I have to remind myself that no matter what era I'm covering or what woman I'm talking about, I'm just never going to be able to read everything there is to read about that topic. I'm, I'm always going to feel like I missed something. So that's always the hardest hurdle for me is the beginning and, and going into it, knowing you have a certain amount, you know, I give myself, um, I give myself a deadline. I give myself a time period and say, this is the time you have. Because I have, I went to, I got my master's in journalism, which has been really helpful for me in setting deadlines in, you know, economy of words, economy of scale and going, you have this much time to produce this episode. You're going to do your best in the time that you have. Um, it's always hard for me to let go because I never, of course, I never want to make mistakes. I want to feel like I did my due diligence. But having worked in publishing for so long, as an editor, a writer, and a researcher has helped me to be able to figure out how to find the research I need and, and put it in a, <coughs> excuse me, in a, in a form that makes sense in a short period of time. So, so um, usually what I do is I try to find one text, one core text that I'm happy with. I feel like it's, um, you know, the research is strong. It's going to give me a nice solid backbone for the episode. Often for the episodes that are about everyday women, it's more complicated than that. Usually there isn't one text to go with, but for something like if I'm talking about women who fought in the American Civil War, there is one very incredible 
extremely well-researched book about that. So I was able to just focus on that. So I try to start with one thing and then I will create a skeleton outline for my episode because for every episode and one of the things I love the most doing the most is I like to figure out well, what shape am I going to give this story? Because of course with history, you know, you have to figure out how to tell the story. It's not just about lining the facts up one after the other. So I have to figure out what what shape am I going to give this story? What is the core thread in this story? How do I want to begin it? You know, what's the frame essentially? So I decided early on for the episodes about everyday life that I'd say, well, I'm going to try to walk people through a day, a day in the life of a woman in a piece of this world and try to enter through that way. So that gave me a, a really easy framework to build from. So I'll build my skeleton outline. And then if I haven't already, I try to then go and pull as many primary sources as I can. It was harder for the ancient world, which was my second season, because of course we have so few direct reliable quotes from women from the ancient world. And often they're hidden in texts that are written primarily by men. So that was a completely different challenge than say, the Victorian era in America, where you do have, it's so much more recent and we have so much more to go on, especially, you know, autobiographies written by women. Um, there's just a lot more to go on. So I try to pull as many primary sources as I can, get quotes from women themselves or about the lives of women to really give a feel for the era. And then as I flesh out the outline, I essentially, um, go down a lot of different rabbit holes to try to flesh out my outline. So I'll look at scholarly articles and uh, I will read newspapers. I will scour the internet for anything I find interesting. And then if there's something I feel like I need to cross-reference or I need more information on, um, yeah, I go to whatever relevant relevant place that I I can to find that information. And it's it's always a great process. It's a time-consuming process, but it's I was going to say... Yeah, yeah. You put you put in so much effort. You make me look so lazy, which I don't mind. Quite frankly, I enjoy the work that you're doing. So, like, help yourself. But um, I, I think this is the thing: is that those who want to go into podcast production, there's always that. I think one of the things that scares them, aside from the fact that people are, God forbid, going to hear their voice, their voice, um, is that uh, they're afraid of the time commitment. And I tell them that it's really contingent on what you're trying to achieve. So in my case, I, I, I mean, it's the anthropologist in me. I'm all about free flow chat. You know, I have my direction I'd like to go down, but I don't need to be hard and fast. Um, but for other people, if they want to create a narrative, that is going to be time consuming. And if you are any good researcher from any good, any, any background, um, you want to give it, due diligence and you want to make sure that you do it to a standard that doesn't cause you to get emails going, you got it wrong. Sorry, actually it was blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah. I think, I think from that perspective, it's, it's admirable <clears throat> the work that you do, but I think people also need to understand behind the scenes that there's a lot more to it than just a Google search. I mean, that's always oh, a start. So Everybody goes on Google. Everyone goes on Google. Everyone goes on Wikipedia, of but of you, know, you go there to figure out which books you need to go to in order to create this amazing story, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing absolutely with podcasting is it's it takes as much time and as much work as you want to put into it and as you need to put into it for the thing you're creating. I didn't, It's I laugh about it now because when I first 
set out to create the Explores. It was all about us being a side project. Something I did when I needed a break from my editorial work or novel <laughs> Something you did when you needed more work. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could just slot it in here or there. But of course, mm. typical of me, I made it as intense and complicated as possible. But I just knew from the very beginning, if I'm going to do this, there are a lot of podcasts out there with a couple of women having an engaging conversation about women in history. And they're great. I enjoy them a lot. But I thought if I'm going to enter this space, I just have to feel like I'm presenting something that's uniquely me and that is different from what else is out there. Um, mm. The kind of thing that I was yearning for and looking for and couldn't find. Yeah. So I knew from the beginning that it was going to be time consuming, but I think giving myself time deadlines and time restraints, because otherwise, you know, it would take me six months to produce every episode. So mm. I have, it's a good lesson for me who is a perfectionist uh, and who fears critique, just like we all fear critique. It's been a good uh, challenge for me and lesson for me about sometimes you just have to say, I've done the best I can in the time I have, and I've created something that I'm proud of in this moment. Yeah, I'm going to put it out yeah. in the world knowing it's not perfect. It will never be perfect. I'm sure I've made mistakes, but I've done my best. Yeah. So, and yeah, I think it's, it's time consuming. <laughs> I will say, I think that's a really good, good analysis because, you know, one of the things that, I mean, those that, you know, go down the research route like full time um you know you could you can literally be the world specialist and i say this because i actually am a world specialist in my topic and you can still have people write really nasty reviews as if you're an idiot <laughs> so you know it's like there's those sort of lines where you have to go i've done my best and my case is like i know my stuff you know your stuff and you're never going to please everybody and you know what that's okay that's what makes people people and it doesn't matter exactly because you, you still got the coffee everyone. you wanted this morning. So, you know, that's what that's counts. That's right. I got my yeah. drip coffee. And and that is, and I think about this with my fiction writing as well. And I do think for any creative, it's a really important thing to keep in mind. that You're not trying to create something that pleases everyone because that is an impossible goal mm. to set yourself. So all you can say is, does this make me laugh? Does this make me think? Does this make me excited? Does this make me feel like I'm time traveling? You know, I knew that I wanted to create the best version of this thing that I envisioned in my head. But I also knew it won't be for everyone and I can't worry about everyone. All I can worry about is, am I proud of this? Does this excite me? You want it to be particular. You don't want it to sound like anyone else. And that means some mm. people will love it and some people won't get it. And that's okay. Yeah, it's totally okay. Absolutely. I mean, the wine's still ready downstairs. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we're winners, really. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was going to say, so I noticed that because of this podcast, you've been able to collaborate um, on occasion with other female podcasters. Um, I know one of them is specializes in the Vestal Versions, which was so interesting. Oh my yeah. gosh, I have questions. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I wanted to know, firstly, how did you develop those relationships and what sort of community has developed as a result of working with other podcasters? You know, that's been one of the biggest surprises for me in being an independent podcaster is when I started this, you know, I was just writing things, recording them, putting them out into the world. It was all very much a solo project and I didn't know, uh, I didn't know how it was going to be received or if anyone was going to listen or I didn't know what was going to happen. And it was such a pleasant surprise to find all of these other independent podcasters in the history space doing the same kinds of things. 
uh, as I'm doing. And I found them mostly on social media. Um, there's a vibrant community of podcasters out there and I have found them incredibly welcoming, um, you know, eager to help because everyone who's doing what I'm doing is, you know, excited to talk about what, whatever it is that they're into. So they're always happy. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly overwhelmed and amazed by how generous people are with their time uh, in this field. You know, I, I don't think, you know, I, I get people to do voiceovers on my show, as you know. So I know I had fun. a little cameo. Was, you know, my <laughs> yes, big debut. Sure did. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. And suffrage. That was a big episode. It was a big was. To play. Mm. You did it to perfection. Thank you very but, much. Um, you're welcome. Yes. So that's one of the things I just love is getting friends, um, family, strangers, whoever I can really to do voiceovers for me just to help bring the show to life. And your brother's um, like big in that. Like he oh, plays he's so funny. He's hilarious. He does. What was I it? Think like Nero and all sorts of stuff. And he's like, hey, guys. <laughs> I think he's been in every single episode. I actually got him a little microphone because his sound quality was so terrible. I was like, John, if we're going to do this together, you've got to get a better mic. But um, so, you know, once I got beyond my friends and family, I didn't want to exhaust them with my requests. So I, I, I actually was part of a group called Lady Pod. I still am a part of a group called Lady Pod Squad. And it's, it's a really lovely online community of um, female identifying podcasters who are just doing their thing on lots of different topics and I started going onto their their slack channel and just shouting out when I needed voiceovers and I was just so amazed by how many people were willing to donate their time to my project and do voiceovers for me and some of them are actors and professional yeah some of them are really actors. good yeah yeah it's just I could not believe and and then you know reaching out to friends of friends and saying hey I'm really looking like I have an episode about um, enslaved women in America sort of in and around the Civil War. And I knew going into that, that there were some voices and characters. I knew I wanted, you know, black women to yeah. voice them. And so I ended up, you know, asking friends, asking family, kind of putting the call out there and saying, you know, this is important to me. I'd really love to have black women bring these characters to life and it w I was just amazed by how many people responded to that and were willing to throw themselves into the project. And one of them is a professional voiceover actress who plays Harriet Tubman. And I cried. I cried when those voiceovers mm. came in because they were so, I mean, they were just so good and so moving. And, and you know, everyone is doing this for free for me. They're doing it for free just because they want to participate. So a long way of saying that most of the community I've met on social media and they have been incredibly warm and welcoming. Um, and people are always, if you just ask people, I'm doing this thing, would you like to help me? 99% of the time they will say yes instead of no. That's it's true. Experience. It's true. They'll, they'll be so, so flattered, a, a you know? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which always, you know, it always, um, it, it always amazes me that's uh you know, the people are flattered that I ask because I always think I'm putting people out, but most of the time they're like, yeah, cool. Thanks for asking me. Like, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, you know, social media has its has its uh, good sides and its bad sides and certainly promoting the podcast. I've learned a lot about social media and how to be savvy on it, how to try to be authentic on it. You know, it's it's an evolving thing for me always. It's hard. It has been, 
It's yeah. really hard, but it has been an incredible way to connect with other podcasters all around the world. So um, some of them are podcasts and podcasters I already knew about and had been listening to for years. Some of them I connected with because like for the ancient world, I, you know, was doing research and part of that research is always seeing what other podcasts are out there that are talking about that particular era. And I met these two women who run a podcast called Ancient History Fangirl. Yeah. Who, you yeah. know, it's very, they're, yeah. which they're, and they too do a narrative podcast. Um, their research is incredible. They're great storytellers. And I discovered them reading about the ancient world and thought, how cool that there are these two women doing this podcast about the ancient world, which is very hard to find women mm -hmm. telling stories about the ancient world. So I got in touch with them. Um, on social media and we just became friends. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've met very few of the people in my podcasting network in real life. And that is the incredible thing about social media and the internet and podcasting generally, it bring, how it brings people together and creates community from all these disparate pieces. So it's been, it's been a wonderful surprise to me to meet all of these people. Um, and those, the partial historians you were talking about earlier, um, one of them, is an expert on the Vestal Virgins, and they've been also incredibly generous with their time. And it was the same thing. I um, found out about them when I was looking for podcasts about ancient Rome, and I thought they were fabulous. So I emailed them and said, hey, do you want to get on the phone with me and talk about the Vestal Virgins? And they said, yes, we will get on the phone with you for two hours on our Saturday and do that for free. It just blows my mind. But I think that's the thing about people who are passionate about what they do. And I th especially think there's something about both independent podcasters, people who are just doing it on their own dime, on their own backs, and people who are doing it, uh, who are doing it in history and talking about things they're passionate about. They're doing it because they just want to get the word out. They're just excited to tell stories. They're excited to reach a broader audience. So they're happy to do that in any way they can. And I'm the same. So I, I very much believe, especially when it comes to, to women that I like to try to pay it forward and I like to try to always reach back and pull up women who ask for my help and mm. whatever realm whatever whatever realm that's in I mean I've had podcasters who are much farther along in their kind of journey with their shows reach back to help me out and give me advice and give me a leg up and you know help spread the word about the show and I always try to do that for new podcasters starting out who ask for my help or my guidance and yeah it's great I think it's like it's, a tip for tad isn't it yeah oh yeah yeah no definitely yeah. I mean I think that's the thing is it's kind of um you know one of the things I've told people in the past is that um podcasting because people are used to getting it for free um there isn't a salary really for most people that comes with podcasting. It's just the way it is. Um, you know, people do get sponsors. It, there are ways you can do Patreon, whatever, but it's not like your boss goes, and here's your check. <laughs> you know, it's like you've got to find a way to to be sustainable. And so I think when you have those people who are of the same environment going, um, I'll happily help you knowing that you'll reciprocate it kind of, um, it makes life easier because you don't have to explain it away. You don't have to say, look, I'm sorry, I don't have the, you know, you don't have to have the awkward conversation oh, yeah. because everybody knows that you're doing it because you have something to say and you want to share it and they want to help you be a part of that. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing. Um, but I was going to say, what is, thing. yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, 
I was going to say, and that, that, that's the thing about it is that you don't have a boss, but you can find coworkers in podcasts. Yes. You know, you can yes. be able to commiserate with and to not just get advice from, but just to talk shop. Um, they're out there and you don't have to look hard and they'll be excited to hear from you. So, mm-hmm. No, definitely. Um, I was going to say, what has been the biggest learning curve that you've had um, to overcome as a result of your podcast? I mean, you, we've talked about the networking, how great that's been. Um, but maybe mm. what are what are little little challenges that you may have experienced? <laughs> um, well, writing for audio is a very different beast than writing for print. And because so much of my background is writing for print, that was a bit of a learning curve. I would write a, and I still do this. I'll write a script. I'll get into the booth and I'll start to voice it and narrate it. And they're there are paragraphs that I'll stumble on. And often I've learned with trial and error that if I'm stumbling over it, it means that something's not right for audio. It works on the page. It's, it doesn't work for the podcast. And I have to figure out, is it, is it a turn of phrase? Is it something about the way I framed this? Is it, what is it? And it's, I feel like I've had to develop almost a new language for the podcast and, and a new way of writing for the podcast that I wouldn't write for other areas and part of that for me early on is um you know I throw I like to throw a little bit of sass a little bit of humor into the podcast now and then and that was not planned at all (laughs) that was not really uh part of my vision initially but I found when I got into the booth I just started riffing as I would if I was if I was teaching um you know, I would throw in a little side sass comment there or like you know, a screw a you Nero or, or go find a bridge and yeah. jump on some, some classy line. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, and you know, I just, they made me laugh. It just felt natural to me to do that. And so I thought, well, I don't know, does it work? Does it not? And I thought, well, that's what's coming to me in the booth, which means I should just go with it. So I did. Um, so I've gotten better at being able to to leave myself room for those moments and to come up with things on the fly and experiments. Mm. Um, and it's just a very different process experimenting. It's not like I'm in a Word document, deleting, moving, cutting and pasting. It's like it's all you're talking into the mic with just you and your script. So that editing as you go feels different and looks different. Mm. Um, so that that was a challenge to basically find to find the way I was going to to script and perform for audio was was new terrain for me. Um, one of the other, I mean, of course, there were tech challenges. I mean, my show. I have is no idea what much you're talking more. about. By the way, everything works like every time. <laughs> there are no children that come in and out. Mm-mm, no way. Put them in a cage. Yeah, this is how That's I ended it. up. This is, this is how I ended up ridiculous. That my husband built me because I, you know, as I went on, I was like, I, I hate cars, I hate birds, I hate planes, I hate. Please build hate me my dog so that I can record. <laughs> I hate, I hate my dog. I hate you when you breathing and walking about. Yes, yeah, so that's how I ended up with this booth. But yeah, there was definitely tech challenges. I knew I wanted the sound to be as good as I could make it, and I knew I it, to have the show be immersive was. I had to figure out how do I do that? And part of that is making sure that the sound quality is good. I've got great music that helps to set the the scene and that you don't hear, I don't want anything to pull people out of the narrative. So it's like when you're watching a movie and there's some continuity error or 
I don't know, someone in the audience starts sneezing. It pulls you out of the narrative. So I didn't want anything to distract anyone. So of course, there was some learning curve with the tech um, and the production of the show. But then I would say the other challenge, and I'm sure every podcaster faces this, was actually putting it out into the world for anyone to hear and anyone to have an opinion about is always stressful. It's both, you know, most of us are uncomfortable with hearing the sound of our own voices. I'm not anymore. I'm well over that. You get over it. You're like, just muscle self- through. You do. <laughs> just muscle through. I know. I have, I have people do voiceovers for me and they're like, oh, I was so nervous saying these two lines in, into the microphone. And I said, you get used to it after a while. But um, yeah, there was definitely that nervousness when I first put the show out and then getting my first negative reviews or, you know, critiques of the show, they really hit me very hard. Um, And I had to sit with that and think about how am I going to handle this going forward? You know, what do I need to do? Because making this podcast, making any podcast, any labor of love, it's hard. And like you say, it's time consuming. I'm not really getting paid to do it. I do have a Patreon and some incredible supporters. Very nice patrons. Yeah. Oh, they're so, so that, yeah, that's incredible. But you know, it's not my full-time job. I wish it was, but it's not. So like you said before, I think it's really easy in podcasting to get burnt out. It's really difficult to keep it sustainable, especially when you can't say, well, this is my nine to five. So that's, you know, I I get to fill all of these hours doing this thing I love. You have to you have to try to find ways to not burn out. You have to find ways to stay engaged. And part of that is creating boundaries. And so for me, it was, okay, so I got this negative review from someone who doesn't like my jokes. Someone doesn't like my jokes. That's fine. And you, I also think it's a, yeah. it's a mark of yeah. distinction for a podcaster. And I had to be reminded of this by another podcaster who said, you know, your podcaster has now reached, your podcast has now reached enough people that you have strangers leaving you negative reviews. That is so is true. Great. That's actually like a weird you know? kind of like compliment. Do you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. It's like, look, you're reaching, it's more than your family and friends listening to this. It's more than your immediate circle. Strangers are listening to this and some of them don't like it. Hooray. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> That's, That's great. Dream. Like, welcome to the like larger gamut. Like I can remember, I mean, I'll be honest, podcasting for me is still you know we're still we're not quite in the infancy stage but we're you know we're taking what we can get um but i can remember in my other life um working in you know the academia ivory tower yada yada and i can i got some not so nice things told to me and i remember somebody took me aside and said um the reason they had issue with it is because they were actually listening to what you were saying so I think there's another thing to it as well. It's like they were listening and I was mad. <laughs> I was really mad, but they were listening. And that's the point. They they weren't just like in la la land and, and you want people to listen to the work that you're doing. And it doesn't mean they have to like it and it doesn't mean they have to agree with it. And in my case with one of my reviews, they didn't like something I wrote. So I deliberately made it the topic of what I was talking about. And I just took the thing that they said I was wrong about. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make that a topic. And then I'm going to talk about why I'm right. So, you know, there are ways yeah. you can kind of take it and, and make it empowering to be like, no, I'm, I'm comfortable in, in how I am and where I stand and what I do. And that's okay. 
And if it makes people a little bit grumpy, like go be grumpy in a corner. You're not in the booth with me. So whatever. I mean, easier said than done. Exactly. But these are the conversations I have in the shower when I'm telling that person to go fly a kite. So, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, to produce anything in the world, if it's a podcast or something else that you're pouring yourself into and putting it out in the world, like we said before, there are going to be people who don't get it. There are going to be people who disagree. There are going to be people who don't like it. And sometimes you can engage with those people and have an interesting conversation, but sometimes you can just say, okay, cool. Bye. I'm glad that you engaged. I'm, I'm glad you listened to it. doesn't sound like you like it. Yeah. You don't have to be here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go you don't. find something you love. That's the great fact, thing about podcasting. I don't have to be so here. Many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, it, it was important for me to have those early moments. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those early moments where I had to grapple with that and, and, and sit with it and say, critique is not bad or not even critique. It wasn't really critique because I like to think of critique, critique as something productive and someone's right. trying to help you. But, you know, negative reviews, someone saying, not for me, I don't like it, is not bad. It's a sign that you're reaching people and that people are listening. Yeah, that's what you absolutely. Want. Absolutely. Um, and I was going to say just a couple more points I wanted to get at. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the great things in terms of networking and then not the, the not so great things that just come with with everything in life. So could you tell me what's the most surprising and or most positive experience that you've had as a result of the show? Um, oh, it's a big so question. Yeah. Yeah. So many things. I mean, I would say personally for me, it's allowed me, it's been incredibly liberating to create something exactly how I want it to be without anyone telling me no and without anyone being able to stop me. I've been able to create, I, I didn't have to compromise for anyone. I didn't have to change my vision for anyone. I said, this is what I'm setting out to do and I'm going to do it and I'm going to put it out in the world and see how it goes. And, you know, working in publishing as long as I have, both as writer and editor, that, that was super liberating for me <coughs> to realize that I, I could do that and that I could find my own audience. Um, I've loved doing that. And the other thing for me is just finding that audience. You know, it's podcasting. There are a lot of people making podcasts now and it's a space that's continually growing, which is great, but it also can make it hard for an independent, you know, small time podcaster to find their people and for their people to find you. So, you know, your story about going on CastBox and actually being able to find my podcast the way you did is thrilling to me because, I want people to be able to look for, you know, women's history or look for the kind of thing I'm working on and find it. And in the beginning, because of the algorithms, when you're new, it's it's actually quite hard to come up yeah, and search. It's hard. So it's really hard. I mean, in the first couple of weeks the podcast was out, you know, you looked up the Explorest podcast in, you know, Apple Podcasts. It didn't come up. And that's, you know, yeah. that's the cruel nature of algorithms is sometimes in the sea of content your content, no matter how good it is, is not always going to rise to the top. So it's yeah. been, you know what I mean? And if so, it makes so, you feel a little bit better, and I say this, I might delete this. Um, <laughs> when you have a last name like Wand and you look it up on Google, do you know what you find? And Summers. So I'm just going to leave that there. Apparently that's what they're selling. <laughs> and then there's my face. So when you look up my podcast, sometimes my face and Ann Somers all gets mixed in. So um, I can't decide which is worse. 
just knocking it off <laughs> or being offered a variety of options that I would never tell. I just would never want with my face next to it ever, ever in a million years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yes. You know, a bunch of people uh, can be like Googling it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, yeah, it is. It's a straight, like the algorithms and the way these things work. It's, it's, it's often the people who already have an audience mm. are the easiest to find. It's, it's not an equal, pure democratic, you know, playing field, which can be frustrating, especially when you're starting out. But one of the most amazing things for me has been as time has gone on and more and more people have started listing, just the number of people who listen to the show and engage with the show and get excited about the show, not just by becoming patrons of the show, which also blows me away, but just people who reach out to me over email purely to say, I discovered your podcast a few months ago. It's my favorite podcast. I love what you're doing. I think it's incredible. I really appreciate, you know, this, that, and the other about it. Keep up the good work. I just, you know, when you're creating something in the world, I think we have this idea that creatives, especially the bigger creatives or the, the really, the ones who we, household names even, we think, oh, well, they know that lots of people love what they do. But a lot of us don't. I'm just, I'm just making this thing out of my house, working hard to make mm -hmm. it as good as I can. But I don't know. I think people seem to be listening, but are they loving it? Is it touching them in some way? Is it doing what I really wanted it to do? And so when people reach out to me with those emails or those instant messages or whatever, it just, it never fails to make my day, make my week to know the thing I set out to do, I'm doing. Yeah. And that there are people out yeah. there who are, who are picking up what I'm laying down and getting it. And it's making them think about what it means to be a woman in the world now, what it means to be a woman in the world in ancient Greece or, you know, during the Civil War in America or whatever it is. That it feels like this evolving conversation. It, it's a conversation that's feeling less and less one-sided. It's feeling less like me shouting into the void and more like me talking with a bunch of people who want to learn. That's cool. That's so cool. Well, I was going to say before we wrap up, what advice do you have for you for those interested in pursuing their creative ambitions? Don't wait for someone to give you permission. It's my number one piece of advice. There are always going to be people who want to tell you why you shouldn't do the thing or why you can't do the thing, why it's not a good idea. But I think when you're passionate about something, when you have a vision, when you have enthusiasm for something, you just need to go for it. You just need to give it a try, experiment, have fun doing it, throw yourself into it and see what happens because you never know where it's going to lead you, what you might discover along the way. So I think that would be my number one thing. And also know, know what you were setting out to do. So I think, especially for people like me, I have, I have a lot of interests, I have a lot of passions and a lot of ideas. And sometimes they can balloon outwards and get so big that you get overwhelmed and you can't start. And certainly podcasting was like that. There were so many things to learn and so many things to figure out that you just have to break it down step by step and say, what is it that I really want to put out in the world? And so when I started the podcast, I actually wrote uh, almost like a back cover blurb about like, you know, what's the pitch? What is this podcast at its core, at its heart? What is its mission statement? What is going to make it unique? And I had to do that in order to move forward or else I would have just been too overwhelmed by all the options. So I think commit, know what you're trying to do, 
commit to it and make it yours. Don't make it what other people want it to be. Make something you're passionate about because then even when you get critique, even if not everyone likes it, as long as you love it, as long as you're proud of it, you always have that. And that's that's a really important ingredient in continuing to make whatever you're making and do whatever you're doing and know that other people will come. Other people will find it. Other people will love it too. That's great. Well, I've got to say, that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. I'd like to thank Kate Armstrong for joining us at the studio this afternoon. Additional information on today's topic will be available in the show notes. In the meantime, stay tuned for more information on our live bonus episode with Kate on Saturday, December 19th. This is a chance to get close and personal with our monthly speakers on whatever topics they feel passionate about, all of which is available to our Patreon subscribers. For more information on how to subscribe, check out our Patreon page for more details. And don't forget that the second workshop in our podcast production series focusing on the tech side of podcast production is on Saturday, December 12th, available to our patrons to register and learn more, sign up today. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.